0: Listeners, welcome back to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries' Unity in Christ program. If this is your first time listening, my name is Christine Kim, and I'm the host of this program. When I was a young child attending Sunday school, there was a particular sermon I enjoyed listening to. They were sermons about David. David was a superhero figure to me as a child. With just five smooth stones, he was just a small teenage child who fought and faced the great Goliath. I remember listening to sermons about David really attentively as if I were watching a superhero cartoon show. In addition to this, David had numerous opportunities to kill King Saul who chased after him the majority of his life to kill him. However, because he was such a righteous person, He does not seek revenge to kill him back. But one day, as I was reading the Bible, I came across a different side of David I did not know, but who I thought to be courageous and righteous. If I was David, this might be something that I would be too embarrassed of even wanting to bring up. However, the Bible doesn't hide this about David and records it all. We'll come back to share more about this after we return from our first song. One day, Prophet Samuel goes to find Jesse. Samuel was sent by the Lord to anoint the next king after Saul. The Lord himself selects a king, and he himself chooses David to be the one. David was anointed by oil, and is now going to be the next king of Israel. And not long after he kills the great Philistine Goliath, he earns fame among all the people. And from this, Saul appoints him as a leader of the army, and from that moment on, David was welcomed and acknowledged by the people. Just from this, you would think that David's future is set and only good things are to come. However, unexpectedly, he lives his life being chased. King Saul, who was very jealous of David, chased after David trying to kill him with his army of men. Without knowing the exact reason, David starts to live a life of escape and seeks Ahimelech for help, but during this time, David sees one of King Saul's servants and flees. How afraid do you think David was, knowing that he could not avoid the eyes of Saul anywhere he went? As David flees, he goes to the land of the Philistines and goes to Achish, king of Gath. What kind of place was Gath? Goliath, whom David killed with five stones, was a person of Gath. I can't even imagine how afraid David would have been trying to hide in the land of his enemies. He might have thought that there was no place for him to go in the land of Israel. But different from what he thought, when people see David, they sing and dance as they say, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. It is recorded in the Bible that as David took these words to heart that he greatly feared but at this moment, as he was greatly in fear, he disguises himself and acts insanely. It says in First Samuel chapter 21 verse 13, So he disguised his sanity before them, and acted insanely in their hands, and scribbled on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva run down into his beard. How scared David must have been to act in such a way! This was the David who so boldly said to Goliath before facing him, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should taunt the armies of the living God. But looking at David now, in fear, in acting insane, what has caused him to be this way? The David who had such great trust and confidence in the Lord now appears to have lost it all.
1: Great is Thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see. i mm-hmm. needed thy hand hath provided great Sings all mine with ten thousand beside. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faith. Faithfulness, oh God, my Father.
2: Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is Truth and Love, Part 1, based on 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 through 21. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Mark. 1 John chapter
3: 4, we pick it up at verse 7. Beloved, that's us. Let us love one another, for love is from God and everyone who loves is what born of God and knows God when you love your brothers and sisters in Christ this shows two things number one it shows that you are indeed born again you're born of God you are God's child because this is the chief attribute and characteristic of God is that he is love you are you show that you are born of God and that you truly you're learning daddy's ways too. It's kind of fun to watch children and their parents. I look at my son and a lot of times I stand with my hands in my pockets and now I look at my son and you watch him stand around and he does the same thing. Well, where'd he get that? You know, well, he comes by it honestly, that's for sure. He watches his daddy. You watch your spiritual daddy, your father in heaven, you're going to become like him. There are two things that are essential for us to pursue as Christians. Write this down. There are two things that are essential for us to pursue. We follow after these two things as Christians. First of all, we follow after truth. There are two things that are essential for us as Christians. First of all, we follow after what? Truth. In John four twenty four, you can just write the reference. Jesus said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So the Lord is desiring us to follow him in truth. And there's so many passages about truth. You shall know the truth. The truth will set you free. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so all of this, it's important that we're pursuing truth. That's why we're following Jesus. He is the truth. Secondly, it is important and essential for us to pursue Love as Christians. Truth and love. And the Lord wants, do you see how the two of those come together in Jesus Christ? Truth and love. I mean, nobody taught more truth than Jesus, right? Nobody made it easier to follow, easier to understand because he lived it. He was what he was saying. And yet he was also perfect love. And I think a really good example of that is the woman that was caught in adultery It might have even been a planned thing by the religious leaders where they kind of set this thing up so that they would have somebody, the impossible case, so to speak, to bring to Jesus. And so they they bring this woman, throw her down at Jesus' feet. She had been caught supposedly in the very act of adultery. Where's the guy, right? I thought it took two to make adultery happen, right? But the guy's not there, but the woman is. She's thrown at Jesus' feet, and they, they remind him, Moses says, that this kind of sin, the penalty for it is death by stoning. What do you say? And of course, the whole idea is if Jesus lets her off, then, well, you don't uphold the law. And if he does hold the law up, the truth up, then, what is, then she's going to end up dying. So either way, he's going to look bad. And they're going to say, well, you're not a God of love or you're not a God of truth. And I love what Jesus did. you remember what he did? Are you familiar with the story enough that we don't have to read the whole story? But Jesus just, the scripture said he started writing in the sand. He bent down and he started writing in the, in the dirt. And we're not told what he was writing. A lot of people have their, their ideas. Use your little sanctified imagination and you can maybe think, maybe he began to write, you know, a name and a date and another name, another name and a date, another name, after a while, the, the men accusing her all kind of, they went slinking away. And the woman is there alone with Jesus. And Jesus says, woman, which was a term of respect, dear lady, where are those who condemn you? They're gone, Lord, she says. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, you see, that is a perfect combination of Love and truth, truth and love combined together in this uh, portrait of Christ. I mean, it's just so amazing what Jesus did there. And you see that throughout his ministry a lot. And he died for her sin. I mean, the, the penalty for her sin was fully paid. Jesus took that upon himself and died, but he forgave her, and she went on to live a different kind of life. Truth without love can be very destructive. Truth without love can hurt people. Sometimes you see people who want to push the truth down somebody's throat or they're harsh with it. Sometimes I see people who they have an ax to grind with a certain thing, point of truth, or something that they believe is truth, and they're, it's like acid. It hurts, it burns, it stings, it's not nice. It surely doesn't draw you to God. If that's what God is like, I'm not interested. That's what a lot of people think. But I never think that when I see Jesus Christ. Do you? I always think, wow, this is what God is like. I want more. I'm interested. So truth without love, we'll note, can be very destructive. We always keep them together, love and truth together. People without love, people with, with even a love for truth without love are very destructive, right? They can hurt. And throughout his ministry, Jesus was the perfect model of truth and love. Now, verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God for what? God is love. Bottom line, if you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ, you do not know God for God is love. That's, there is no getting around it. That is a basic tenet of the Christian faith. So you can't say, I mean, really, one of the ways we show love for one another is we get together with brothers and sisters. We encourage, how can you encourage somebody you're never around? How can you bless somebody you never know or see? How can you comfort somebody you never know or see or never around? So inherent in our Christian life are other believers. Unless you're on a desert island or you're in a situation where it is impossible for you to meet with other Christians, it's God's will for you to be together with other believers. That's just His plan for us. We grow that way, and we show the love of Christ that way as well. Now, um, God's perfect love is described in verse 9. God could have shown His love anyway toward us. He could have sent angels through the sky. As the Bible says He will, Revelation 14, He will in the in the great during the great tribulation he's going to have three angels flying in the midst of the heaven proclaiming the everlasting gospel and so they will be the whole world will hear because three angels with megaphones are going to be proclaiming the gospel everybody's going to hear the gospel that way that's really going to happen but he also he didn't choose to show his love that way god could have shown his love by having a heavenly choir show up and sing, God is love, God is love, God is love, God is love, God is love. But he didn't do that. The way God showed his love for us, verse uh, 9 says, By this the the love of God is manifested in us. The, The word in in Greek could be translated toward us or to us. By this the love of God was manifested to us. For us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this, verse 10, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That big word, propitiation, means atoning sacrifice. Jesus has brought us together with God. Atonement. At one meant, that's the word atonement, those words, at one meant, God has brought us together in Jesus. Now, I think it's pretty significant that God's love is active and not passive. God's love moved him to do something for us. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that he sent his only begotten son. God doesn't say, well, I just really love you and and not do anything. God's love is active. Our love, you see the argument here, is now our love for one another is gonna be like God's love, it's gonna be active. For God so loved the world that he, go ahead, gave his only begotten son. He didn't just talk about it, he did something active. And so real agape love, God's kind of love, that's the Greek word for God's kind of unconditional love. Real agape love is going to always show itself, it's a verb, it's an action word, we do something with God's love. And if his love is in our hearts, it's gonna be active. It's gonna be active in our really getting involved in somebody's life. I was reading this story today about uh, a man who was talking to his friend. His friend's father had died and his, uh, he, he went downhill from there, he, his, he quit his job, he uh, his family life was going downhill, he became very depressed, couldn't sleep, well, slept all the time, actually, and uh, was sleeping 12 or 14 hours a day, and um, his friend called him up and he said, how are you doing? He says, oh, I'm okay, and kind of evaded all the issues, and so he, he said, well, call me back. He says, oh, yeah, I'll call you back. Well, he didn't, three or four days went by. Well, when he didn't call him back, the friend called him, and again, he was evasive, and so what he did was he hopped on an airplane and he flew from Texas up to Des Moines, Iowa and was there in three hours and was at his friend's doorstep. And the next morning, when his friend woke up, he was there at his house and he was saying, now, brother, we've got to talk. We've got to talk. You've, I'm going to help you, with God's help, work this thing out. Now, that's love, isn't it? It wasn't just like, well, I, he didn't call me back, so... If he's not going to call me, I'm not going. What can I do? He showed up. He bought the ticket. He took the time. He invested. Now that I was just touched. I thought that is love. And so love is active. And that's an extreme case, but it might be that there's somebody the Lord's putting in your heart right now that needs to hear from you. You know it. They need. They need a phone call. They need an email. They need a visit. You haven't seen him in a while. Okay, what are you going to do about it? Love is active. And certainly we weren't like pursuing God when he came after us, were we? I mean, most of us, we were just going on our way away from God. We're going the wrong way. And the Lord pursued us anyway. That's that's God's kind of love. So maybe you know somebody going the wrong way. You're, You're the Lord's lasso, so to speak, saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't go any further, and you run after them. That's love. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for us. And the gospel is not that you love God. The gospel is that God loves you. The gospel isn't all about me. It's all about God and his love for me. It's all about God taking the initiative. We never initiate. We're always the responders to God. Throughout scripture, you'll see The the teaching is that we always respond to God. So if you never see God's love, what are you gonna respond to? So the key to the Christian life is you keep your eyes on the love of God and the grace of God and you'll always be responding to that. How do you respond to God's love and grace? By worship and service, amen? Isn't that what you want? So I understand that my job as kind of a spiritual coach is to keep your eyes on the love and grace of God for you, the love that God has for you, the grace that God has shown to you. And the result will be worship and service in your life. That will happen because all you need to hear about is how much God loves you and how much God cares for you and what God has done for you and he's never gonna stop loving you. And then you see, and God also says that you can say thank you by doing this for me, by living your life for me, by obeying me. If you love me, and do you love him? Oh, yeah. Why do you love him? Because he first loved you. It always goes back to God, number one. Well, if you love me, then keep my teachings, keep my commands, do what I say. Okay, Lord, well, where do I find that? Right here, right here in this New Testament. You're going to find the teachings of Christ and his apostles. And that's what we're going to follow. And this is love, verse 10. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, verse 11, goes without saying. This is the application. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Duh, right? We love one another. Because God's loved us. How could I not, you know... Ever been tempted not to love somebody? Yes, okay. Ever have at that moment the Holy Spirit kind of tap you on the shoulder? This happens like in marriage sometimes. It's like, oh, Lord, how can she be so hard to live with? Or how can he be so stubborn? And, and you get mad and you think, well, ugh, I'm just going to dig in my heels. And I'm, I'm just not going to put up with this anymore. And then the Holy Spirit's there. Dun, 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 dun. little tap on the shoulder.
4: Dun, 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 dun.
3: I think, Well, maybe if I ignore him, he'll go away. Because you know what he's going to say. The Spirit's going to speak to your heart and say, uh, how many times have I forgiven you? Can we talk about something else? You want to talk about worship? You want to talk about... Um... No, let's talk about forgiveness. How many times have I forgiven you? Have you ever done something stupid, Mark? Lord, yeah, maybe, a couple of hundred thousand times. Well, have I forgiven you? Do I bring them up to you? Oh, Lord, do we have to get this in depth right now? Because i got a good mat on. And see, when you really, you start listening to the Holy Spirit, it really is good for your marriage. It's bad for your ego sometimes. just have to say you're sorry all the time. You know, you just... Say it once. I'm sorry. That's some of the best words you'll ever learn. I'm sorry. When we know God's love for us and His forgiveness for us and His grace to us, we become loving, forgiving, gracious people. We have to be, because we're we're always recipients of it. Are you ever going to get to the point where you don't need God's love? No. Or His forgiveness? No. Or His grace? No. I mean, some of you are thinking, well, in heaven, yeah, but in heaven, you're not going to have to deal with your spouse either, are you? <laughs> or, I mean, you know, there's not going to be any problems. And in verse 12, it goes on to say, now, no one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfect in us. Now, I used to never get this verse. I would think, well, okay, what does this have to do with anything, Right? I mean, we just talked about, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love to one another. And then he goes, no one has beheld God at any time. It's like, Phew. then all of a sudden we get this whole different element of theology thrown in there, the invisibility of God, you know. What does this have to do? Well, I'll tell you what this has to do. He's saying, look, no, he says, beloved, if God loved us, we ought also to love one another. Now, point of application again, he's saying, people can't see God you may be the only God they see. I don't mean you're a God, but I mean you're the only kind of God-like love they ever see. You're Jesus' hands. You're Jesus' feet. You're Jesus' smile. You're Jesus' forgiving attitude. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you say, nobody's seen God. But we see God's love in each other. And that's what we're supposed to do is show the love of God toward the world, toward one another, and he says, "God abide, if we love abide one another, God's, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So he's saying, now love one another, because this shows the love of God, because people don't see, we can't say, well, God is love, well, he's saying, well, nobody sees God. What people are seeing is you. So he's saying, you love one another, and people will see God's love, because they can't see him, but they see you. You got it? Verse verse 13 by this we know here's one of those we knows that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit and the fruit of the spirit is love and we have the holy spirit in us those of us who are saved we have the holy spirit in us and verse 14 we have beheld and bear witness that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world we believe that jesus is the only savior right verse 15 whoever confesses that jesus is the son of god God abides in him, and he in God.
0: Now you can find all the programs of Heart and Soul on podcasts. You can easily play this week's or past week's program, or even download them on your device in just a few minutes. Search for Heart and Soul at your iTunes stores now. gave up their lives in honor of Christ, who gave us our everlasting life. Continued is a story of the many people who endured their life with faith, titled The Voice of the Martyrs.
5: Hello listeners, this is Rhonda Walker with The Voice of the Martyrs. People often say a man would die for the person that esteems him and a woman would die for the person that loves her. This is taken from what Shima Ma an old Chinese historian, once said. The actual quotation was that a scholar would die for the person that respects him and a woman would put on makeup for the person who loves her. It seems that there is some sense to what he said. Because in reality, there have been many instances where men have given their lives for the person who esteemed them and believed in them. There are also many stories where women have given their lives for the person that loved them. If we can die for those who know us and esteem us, for those who love us, what would we do for the truth? Would there really be a man or woman that would give their life for the truth? The answer to that is yes, there are the church that was created after Jesus Christ's ascension gave their lives to defend the truth. It was because that truth was God's word, and God's word is Christ. Jan Hus, often called John Hus in English, was a Czech who freely gave his life for the truth, being branded a heretic during the Council of Constance from 1444 through 1418, and then, executed by being burned alive. Today we will share the story of Jan Hus who died for the truth 600 years ago.
2: At the height of corruption of the medieval church in 1400, Czech Jan Hus became a Roman Catholic priest and started preaching at the Church of St. Michael in Prague, the capital of the Kingdom of Bohemia. He soon became the rector of the University of Prague, where he reformed the spelling system and introduced improvements to the Czech language, which still exists to this day. Various people, commoners, as well as nobility and royals, listened to his sermons. His sermons cried out for the reformation of the church and social ethics and the people became enthused over such sermons. However, when such critical sermons of Hus began to challenge the selling of indulgences, the disgrace of the medieval church, the pope, as well as kings and nobles, and church leaders, began to restrain him. In the end, Jan Hus was banned from all church activities in Prague. However, this did not stop him as Jan Hus moved to the southern Bohemian region and started preaching the truth to the people in the fields and public squares. And following this, the Council of Constance decided to punish him and they summoned Jan Hus to investigate his association with John Wycliffe who influenced Hus and was executed as a heretic by the church. Friends of Jan Hus worried that the council had a huge conspiracy in summoning him and discouraged him from answering the summons. However, Jan Hus prepared for an argument with the council, answered the summons, and appeared before his persecutors. When he arrived in Constance following his summons, Hus was imprisoned right away as his friends had feared, and he was given no opportunity to defend his claim or to dispute with the council. Instead, the council accused Jan Hus to the court based upon the writings that he didn't even write, and Hus was soon branded as a heretic. Only a death sentence was awaiting Jan Hus once he was labeled as a heretic. Then the council offered Jan Hus that if he would recant and abandon his position, then he would be allowed to live. However, Jan Hus chose the path of obedience to God's word and the truth and prayed Lord although I am weak lead me to follow your steps O Lord strengthen my soul that I may willingly handle this work if my flesh is weak let thy grace lead my way let thy grace be between my Lord and I before and after me Lord Jesus if not for you I cannot endure such cruel death for you give me a fearless heart an unswerving faith, an unwavering hope, and complete love. Allow me to give my life to you, Lord, with endurance and joy. You, O Lord, are the one that works in me, giving me a heart to do the work befitting your will and providing me the strength to do that work. Amen. Amen.
5: On July 6, 1425, Jan Hus was burned to death at the stake in Constance, defending the truth till the end under false accusations of being a heretic. Jan Hus had always taught, Christians seek the truth, listen carefully to the truth, learn the truth, love the truth, speak the truth, and without any fear of death, defend the truth. And the source and standard of the truth is the word of God. Practicing what he preached, Jan Hus did not fear death for keeping the truth and he defended it until the end. He knew that it was God who gives him the heart to follow God's will. God who gives him the strength to work out that will and God who actually does the work. As Philippians 2.13 explains, That is why the world was not worthy of Jan Hus, who knew the truth. See you next time. This was The Voice of the Martyrs.
4: We'll know that you are holy. Go on and tell it to the man
0: David acts insanely and runs saliva down his beard in front of the doors of the gate. However, King Akish saves him. As David was barely able to avoid the situation, I wonder how he felt. If I was David, I would have been ashamed of myself and apologetic towards God for not seeking him and not trusting him in that moment. But despite all of that, regardless of whether David seeked him or not, God was with him. He opened up a way for David to survive that moment, And I know David had no other feeling but of thankfulness to him. As David experiences God's presence through this, he begins to praise him. Psalm chapter 34 is known to be the psalm of David regarding the time he pretended to be insane in front of Abimelech who sent him away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. These are the scriptures of Psalm chapter 34, verse 1 through 3. When we rely on our own thoughts to resolve a situation, we as well will act like David. Where could we run or hide to? Our only shelter, our only place of rest, is Jesus Christ. The only one whom we can rely on and seek shelter and peace is in our Lord and Savior jesus christ to live a life in experiencing his presence every day of our lives is our way of faith how hard and fearful must those times have been for david those long and treacherous times that he endured god was with david every moment of the way and was able to experience his steadfast love david's life of escape does not end here he lived 17 years of his life running from king saul There are many moments in our lives we face, such as David's. There are moments where we are caught up in fear, but as we experience our Father guiding our every step, I believe that we will be able to praise Him as David did even in our most difficult situations. I pray that all of our listeners and I are able to wholeheartedly put all of our trust in the Lord and allow His peace to guide our lives. We will now wrap up Unity in Christ Thank you for listening, as it has been my pleasure. I hope to see you this time again next week, and God bless.